You guys were really great last night. They were just watching the girl, not the dancing. It was just a cheap shot. Well, I'd burn any girl that put her face in front of me. She was good. I'm better. Boy, do I have an idea. We'll put together our own act. What a team, the three of you and me as manager. She ain't no street dancer. She knows nothing about what we do. She can learn. Yeah? Oh. You can teach me. Uh, excuse me. I'll just uh, I'll just put away the liner, adjust my sweatbands, and uh, just uh, try and Martin Riggs style put my arm back in its socket from uh, dislocating it. Uh, is it time for another movie mug? Another mug of movie goodness or movie badness or just plain old indifference? Now today's film is actually two films uh, from a VHS tape that I've recently liberated from the loft prison where I sentenced them all to uh, over five years ago to hard labour. And I've not watched them in at least 15 years. This film I've not seen in, in quite some time and its sequel I've only ever seen once. So it's got an interesting view today. Uh, and as for the mug, well, I figured that um, seeing as these films are quite energetic, I would need some energy to get me through them, uh, to keep me going. So I'm sinking cans of Red Rooster. That's right, that's Red Rooster. Uh, it's another stimulation drink in the uh, vein of Red Bull and Tiger that I've had before. Uh, but I like this one, nice red, bright red can, kind of like a bit like Danger. And it says on the can, uh, I like what it says inside of the can, not suitable for children, pregnant women, or people sensitive to caffeine. <laughs> well, I've, uh, I've drowned three of these. I've just opened a fourth one, just now so um well i hope i'm not pregnant is all i can say um now before we get into the film let's just i just want you to picture the scene a um, bunch of 12 year old kids hidden away or, or secluded away we've worked our way into a school building we're not supposed to be in there it's during lunch break we're supposed to be outside playing you know football or kiss chase or whatever um why we weren't allowed to stay indoors i have no idea but um, uh, we, we've worked our way into a building because we've got nice shiny floors, because we've got a boombox with us blaring out some banging 80s tunes. Uh, well, no, it probably wasn't actually. It was more likely Fergal Sharky or, uh, or, or Tanita Takaram or whatever, stuff like that. Yeah, it wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been the stuff to uh, get some decent breakdancing to. But uh, that's what we were doing. We were breakdancing. We were doing the old, uh, you know, one after the other, seeing what we could do. Uh, well, actually, no, that's a lie as well. We weren't really practicing. We were trying to learn breakdancing is what we were doing hidden away from prying eyes because we were trying to recreate what was in a book that we had now I don't actually know what to see, which is the sadder part about this. The fact that we were trying to recreate uh, what was in a book about breakdancing or the fact that we owned the fucking book in the first place. But, you know, the truth was the mid-80s, 1984, pre-teens, uh, it was cool to, you know, pop and lock and windmill and spin on your back and do the head spin and all that kind of stuff. And we, we wanted to be, I wanted to be part of that crowd that could do that stuff at the... Uh, school discotheque as such but um uh, like i said the fact is we were lousy at it i was i was lousy at breakdancing was never i was i was never part of the cool kids at school in fact um i think there was only one kid in the whole school who could actually do any form of breakdown the only one who could do the windmill you know that kind of kicking your feet around as you spin around your back and flip around up and down that, that thing you know he was uh there was only one guy a guy called simon he's the only one who could do it with any form of competent shall we say um my breakdancing repertoire pretty much consisted of some rather awkward robotics and uh and that sort of stupid sort of not moonwalking but that slow-mo bit like the six million dollar man that kind of slow-mo walking towards you 
uh, thing that um, it's like like what they did at the beginning of that video from um, oh god who's that video street uh, street street machine street break machine break machine um, street dance yeah they did it right at the beginning of the video. Uh, uh, in fact, I'm just going to pause for a second. I'm just going to find that video on YouTube. <laughs> One second. That's it. Break machine. Street dance. Yeah, I'm just... I'm just going to tweet... Oh, wow. I'm just going to tweet that. So... There they are. They're doing that kind of slow-mo kind of walk. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> there you go. So I've just tweeted that to... Uh, so if you want to have a look at that, look at back on my... Uh, Twitter timeline, um, and you'll see uh, see the video for Street Dance by Break Machine. <laughs> really weird. Oh Jesus Christ, that takes me back. But um, regardless of my personal failings as a uh, as a as a dancer of the street, uh, when this film came out in 1984, I was desperate to see it because I wanted to be part of that culture. I wanted to be a street dancer. I wanted I wanted to be able to do what they did. Um, but there's no way my parents were going to take me to see a film about break dancing for Christ's sake. So I had to wait until it's video release which would have probably been like you know end of 84 or beginning of 85 or something like that that i can't really remember when was the first time i saw this film but i do remember before the film even came on there was the trailer for the sequel because they kind of rush produced that and and put that out in the same year you know to capitalize on the on the on the market as such but uh, yes of course i'm talking about uh breakdance the movie um or break breaking as it was known throughout most of the throughout most of the rest of the world uh, in the UK, it was Breakdance the movie because uh, we didn't really know what breaking was um, at the time. So what have we got? Well, we've got Kelly, played by uh, Lucinda Dickey. She's a young wannabe dancer, you know, doing the whole working as a waitress thing in a, in a diner. You know, she's taking jazz dance lessons, dreaming of stardom, dreaming of something else, dreaming of getting out of where she is. Um, she's got the eye of a dance instructor, Franco, in more ways than one, shall we say. And she gets um, she gets entranced by the world of breakdancing when a friend of hers takes her to a beach and introduces her to some of his friends, uh, in particular guys called Turbo and Ozone. Now, they're played by Boogaloo Shrimp and Shabadoo. Uh, shit you not, Boogaloo Shrimp and Shabadoo. Of course, their real, real, real names are Michael Chambers and Adolfo Quinon. Quinon, Quinons, Quinon, no idea. Uh, Shabba, let's call him Shabba. Now they're having a bit of fun and they're dancing away and breaking and doing all the flipping and the beat bopping and all that kind of stuff. And uh, you know she sees what they're doing. She kind of wants to do that as well, but you know she she's not a break dancer. She she kind of gets involved, but it's more kind of a a fusion of styles at least to begin with. You know, but she's having fun and they're having a bit of time. And um, the whole funk of the of the, the little gathering kind of gets brought down by the entrance of electro rock kind of like the film's sort of nemesis as such you know a couple of uh, guy dancers who think that they're the shit they're the bomb and they bring it they bring their game to turbo and ozone who are you know i guess they're the current uh, the current big guys and they they outdance them in a kind of you've been served kind of style and uh they turbo and ozone basically go off with their tails between their legs uh, to come back and fight another day now what's interesting about this scene more than anything else is um the, in the background obviously is a background uh, of, of onlookers dancing and clapping and swaying and watching these guys do their stuff um and there's one guy in particular who's wearing a black spandex leotard um you know sort of gyrating away in the background very, making himself very very um very clearly known and it's none other than mr jean-claude van damme in his movie debut he's only on screen for about 20 or 30 seconds or so but boy does he make an impression 
not necessarily the right one, but there you go. Um, Legend also says that Chris Rock is in that audience as well, but I've never seen him. You know, he's, I think it could well just be merely Legend, but there you go. Uh, so our heroes um, go walk off with their tails between the legs. They then fight, face off. I guess they fight, but it's not. I guess it's street fighting. They face off against the electro rock guys again in a dance club um, hosted and MC by none other than Ice T, also in his movie debut in this particular film uh, and this time Turbo and Ozone obviously want to bring their A game they've been tr- they've been bulk- they've been training up and they've been getting to their, their act together and they go against Electro Rockers but this time these guys bring on uh, a wild card a third girl dancer um, and they get their asses beaten again you know so they get beaten down now I'm not entirely sure how they win out I don't remember seeing any judges or scorecards you know come dancing style you know seven or anything like that so um, but what, whatever drives the plot you know if you can call it one of course anyway Turbs and and uh, the OZ, uh, they've got to get him back somehow. So they recruit Kelly, uh, or whatever Kelly goes to them, really. But they, they recruit Kelly, uh, who they give the street name Special K to, which is a low-calorie cereal in the UK. So I'm not entirely sure how that translates. To join them as their trio, two guys and a girl facing off against two guys and a girl. And that's really the drive of the film. There's also a subplot in there where the Kelly's agent sees the potential in the dance act they're putting together and, you know, and the whole street culture and wants to bring it forward to the mainstream and wants to promote them professionally. But Kelly obviously needs to convince the boys that that's, you know, that uh, that's the direction to take their uh, their lives in and take their bring their brand of dancing to the stage and obviously a bit protective about it because it's from the streets and the, the ghetto and that kind of stuff. Um, it's also an area in which her old dance instructor, Franco, the one who she, who hits on her at the beginning, is trying to sort of ring fence for his own dancers, this uh, this upcoming stage production. But um, that's how it kind of all ends up. But anyway, it's it's more about the, the, the sequences that, that, that get you to that point. And, uh, and there's plenty of really good dancing in here, especially if you like that sort of thing. And I do. I kind of really like that kind of stuff. Um, you get your D-Rigger montage training sequence, you know, which obviously has been lampooned many, many times before. You know, sort of started off with Rocky, but you get that in the beginning where they're training up. In fact, that was that was the kickoff um, to that was the, uh, the the audio at the beginning of the podcast where they do their training um, and teach you how to dance as such. So there's plenty of of dance face offs, you know, that kind of uh, going against one another. And of course, there's the stage productions and the auditions at the end. But um, probably most memorable for this film, than any other thing, is the Fantasia homage, I shall just call it, uh, where Turbo. Mr. Shrimp, who's working in a convenience store, goes outside at night after the store's closed to sweep up the street outside, takes his boombox with him, sets it down, starts playing some tunes, and then he starts sweeping and then starts turning into a bit of a dance. And he's doing a bit of break dance and he's moonwalking and he's twirling things around and he's sort of doing that whole body breaking, popping style of stuff. Um, and then at one point, the broom kind of sort of takes on life. It's saying it levitates and then starts to... It's almost it's almost like he's got it on a string kind of thing, which is probably what he did have, to be fair. <laughs> got it on a string and it's, he's moving around. But it, it's it's a bit of a flight of fancy. It's, uh, you know, it's the only thing where that's not grounded in reality. And it's, there is a slight suggestion that it might be in his head, that he might have been dreaming it. He might have been thinking that that's what happened because the electro rock guys turn up again at that sequence. They they pass by in their car before they go up and start giving them the old, um, uh, you know, the old uh, one two on the on the uh, your mama kind of stuff. But um, they never really go up and go, hey, dude, how'd you get that? How'd you get that broom to fly? Shit, man! They never say anything like that. So yeah, maybe I'm just making up my own conclusions there, but no. might not be as clever as that. Might just be what I thought it was. Um, now let's get a little bit of perspective 
this ain't a great film. It really isn't a great film. We've seen this kind of story a million times before. You know, dreams can come true if you work hard enough. Fortune favours the brave. Stay true to what you know. You know, that type of stuff, you know. And it's it's been done a million times before and done better a million times before. The acting is uniformly poor. Uh, none of the, I mean, you know, these guys are dancers being asked to act. It's not the other way around. They're not doing a, they're not doing a Natalie Portman here, you know, going and doing a, a dance uh, school and then, you know, and then know how to emote. It's not that way at all. Um, so, you know, so it's pretty by the numbers, as is the direction, pretty by the numbers, uninspired for, you know, at least 75% of it, I would say, is pretty much uninspired direction, on rails directing. But what lifts this above most of its flaws is the same reason most of the contemporary films of its ilk, certainly at the same time. I mean, if you take Fame, which was a few years earlier, 1980, uh, and then Flashdance the year before, and then at the same, the same year Footloose came out in 1984, quite a lot of dance films around 1984, Footloose, Flashdance, Breakdance, they all had... They all had sequences set to you know, great music, you know, um, certainly great 80s music, and most of it stands up today. That's kind of, they transcended the barriers of the film. They broke through the celluloid as such and sort of seeped into pop culture of its time. And I believe they sort of still stand up today. Um, if, you go to a, uh, if you go to a nightclub and somebody puts on Footloose by Kenny Loggins, everybody gets up and dances to it, and they remember why they're dancing to it. Um, same with Flashdance, I've got a feeling. Same thing with Ain't Nobody by Shaka Khan because that's what the montage sequence was set to. The, 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 the beginning of that and the audio at the beginning was going to lay, lay into, in the film, lays into this montage sequence which is set to Shaka Khan's Ain't Nobody. Great song. The end dance sequence to Ollie and Jerry's There's No Stopping Us. Quite anthemic and perfectly fits the movements in the film and kind of spoke to the generation watching it, you know, saying, guys, you know, there ain't no stopping you if you want to do what you want to do. Um, Footloose and Flashdance did the same thing. You kind of take all those moments out of those films, and what's left? You know, I've seen Flashdance just recently, to be fair. You know, in the last sort of two years, and with the exception of that end dance sequence, it's pretty crap. <laughs> there isn't really a lot else to it. Um, so, like I said, the dance sequences are pretty good. Um, the acting is generally poor but during those sequences where they are dancing it doesn't really matter what their acting is like and i believe that that's their best that's where they're best at that's where they sell themselves better than any other scene in the movie there's some intensity and some determination in what they're doing that you don't feel anywhere else in the film most important of all though i just think it's fun to watch uh, it's nostalgic as hell what they're wearing what they say what the cars they're in the environment it's nostalgic hell. i grew up in the 80s so for me you know what? I bloody love it. I bloody love it. And I may have just lost the three listeners I had for admitting that, but what the hell. Breakdance the movie gets a big one of these from me. Oh, ow. Ow. <laughs> I think I've just hurt my back. I've just done one of those, you know, those kind of like wave things from the tip of your fingers over the back of your shoulder to the other hand. Uh, yeah, I'm just getting too old. So... The film ends with a rather... <laughs> this is the way... The film ends with a rather strange and rather unnecessary montage, though. The, you get to the end, they, you know, or whatever. They, if, if, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it's, you know, it's pretty, pretty run of the mill. You're going to guess what is how it ends. But it ends with a rather strange montage. Takes you right back to the beginning of the film, and and shows you what happened in the last hour and a half. Which kind of seems a bit weird. They probably should have left that for the sequel and put that at the beginning of the sequel. That would have made more sense. Um, and at the same time, they're playing a rap by uh, Mr. T over the top bit. Now, now that's Mr. that's Ice T, not Mr. T, not. I ain't getting on no plane, sugar. That's not that guy. Ice T plays a rap, uh, sings a rap over it, and he ends that rap with what I think is a piece of wisdom. To be fair, that you can either take it one or two ways. 
what he actually says is at the end is the last line of the film is this story is true but wait to part two now what Mr. Rice is either telling us is that part two is going to be even better than this one or it's going to be something else and now I remember seeing the trailer for the film long before I even saw the sequel, uh, long before I saw the first film, to be fair, um, which, like I said, was released in the same year. It's got all the same cast, different writers and different directors, different creatives, but the same people in front of the camera. I mean, you know, to a degree where like, even some of, the, uh, uh, some of the dancers from like Electro Rock guys from the first one are in the second one, but playing completely different characters. Um, and after seeing it many years later, what I prefer to think is that Ice T was actually not telling us to wait to part two. He was warning us about part two. He was saying, "Look, this story is true, but fuck me, wait to part two. Um, Breakdance to Electric Boogaloo could not be any different from the first film if it tried, in my opinion. Our heroes, uh, Turbo and Ozone, they're now teaching breakdancing at a local community centre, which is called Miracles, kind of run down, it's actually condemned building, which is it's brightly painted in, you know, sort of garish colours, graffiti. It's totally out of place with the rest of the neighbourhood, and maybe that's the point. The suits of the local council, businessmen, city council, city you know, engineers, these kind of guys, they want it levelled and they want to build a shopping centre there, which I would have thought, actually, they would have been more happy with the kids and all that, you know, with having a mall there, um, all those nice shiny floors to do their breakdancing, but obviously not happy with it. So they set about a crusade of raising the money themselves needed to, you know, stop the demolition, keep their place for themselves. It's their haven, it's their place to go, it's away from their, from the parents and, you know, the what kind of shit. Um, Special K, uh, meanwhile, has been off trying to get a dancing career going again, not doing so well. She makes a trip home to see her parents, who it turns out are rich. <laughs> what a surprise. Um, sort of longs for her old buddies a bit. You know, she looks at an old photo of the three of them together from the first film and goes to seek them out and turns out that this is what they're doing and gets caught up in the whole fundraising shenanigans, shall we say. You know, it's it's pretty predictable enough, you know. I mean, the first one didn't really rely on any heavy plotting, so why should this, you know? But where these two did two dif- where these two differ is that the first one kind of did have a story arc as such. It was going somewhere. This one just seems to be whatever they can cook up to get to the next dance sequence. It, you know, and that's the way it looks at. I mean, the first one was fairly grounded, you know, in reality, apart from the broom sequence, of course, you know, but then again, that may have been, I, I read that as he was, he was dreaming that he was night, he was daydreaming, even though it was night. Um, this one sort of takes it, you know, for a full circle and puts it into a kind of Hollywood musical territory, you know, um, you know, where, where everybody is a singer and a dancer. And literally in the, in the opening sequence, everybody is a break dancer. They, they start off, Sort of, uh, sort of mincing as such down the street, you know, doing, uh, doing their, their singing to a song and doing a bit of dance and all that, and then they pass some gardeners, and then when you look again, they're doing caterpillars and breaking and flipping and dancing. And they pass a copper who's giving someone a ticket, and then she's dancing around, and you know, people waiting for a bus, and you know, God knows what else is in there, but they, it, it turns into a kind of Austin Powers kind of thing, you know, which I guess is what that was really kind of pastiching was that. You know, uh, you know, they pass the copper and the copper starts dancing. Yeah, and it's it's like that, and it and it and it gets more and more and more silly as it goes through. Later on, there's a there's a sequence in a hospital where Turbo's in hospital because he's he's broken his leg. I'll come back in a minute. Turbo's broken his leg, and you know, then they start 
they start dancing around and, and uh, you know some music someone puts some music on start dancing around and then the nurses come out and they're popping and locking and patients who are in a wheelchair get up and then they're doing the windmill and spinning on their head and even a dead guy comes back to life and does a little quick robot demonstrate it's very very silly very silly um, speaking of the hospital scene like I said Turbo breaks his leg and this, this is quite funny he he gets chased and he falls down some stairs. Now, Turbo is quite a short, thin rake of a dude. You know, he's, he's only small and he's very, very thin. And but the guy who falls down the stairs is more like a heavy set, heavy set. You know, paunch boy, six footer with a completely different hairstyle. You gotta love these budget restraints from these films. But you know, and then another thing is that when he gets the cast that he's got on taken off, not by professionals, I might add, in a hospital. Now his mates yank it off. They saw it off and rip it off. When the cast comes off him, he's wearing a sock in the cast now that's strange enough as it is but the fact it was even strange is it matches the one that he's wearing already just think about that for a second <laughs> there's lots of stupidity in this film they even they even try and outdo the broom sequence in the first one again with turbo this time he break dances and dance he's, he spins and whatever uh, dancing around in a spinning room uh, apparently the same one they used in Nightmare on Elm Street. He starts off on the on the floor and then he moves to the moves to the walls and he's walking up the walls and then he's doing caterpillars on the ceiling and stuff like that, you know. And it, to be fair to it, it's actually pretty nicely filmed, uh, well timed and danced and choreographed by uh, Mr. Boogaloo Shrimp, but. Um, Still quite silly. At one point, he's loving. They give him a love, love interest in this film. Uh, she walks into the room, and sort of gasps at seeing him on the ceiling, but then sort of smiles and joins in. And it's uh, that you can see. You can see where they've kind of strapped her into the into the rig to rotate the room um, because she's got her arms sort of down by one side and you know, she's kind of got this look as if she's going to vomit on her face and then it cuts to a different uh, shot of her and then you know she's away from the wall and she's dancing around and then it cuts back and she's back up bolt right up against the wall you know what are you going to do you know kind of thing you know but it's probably the most enter- it's not a patch on the broom sequence but it's probably the most entertaining part of the film I have to say that. Ice tea crops up again, um, you know, even though he kind of warned us in the first film that this one was going to be, you know, a sort of a bit incredulous. He does turn up again just to cash in that paycheck, I guess. But the over- overall, the dance sequences, they're not so good. Uh, you know, it's, let's face it, the, there's more there's more kind of dance troupe cabaret kind of dance than this, less of the face off. And there's only one real face off sequence that, you know, sort of springs to mind. More of it's kind of that dance troupe you know sort of like putting on a show kind of stuff um none of the songs really stand out as well you know one of the things that sort of pushed the pushed the boundaries of the of the, of the first film into pop culture was was the soundtrack this one's got a pretty poor soundtrack and carolyn thomas's uh, i believe in the uh, in the beats can't hold a candle to shaka khan um in, in fact there's one song as well there's one song they actually use, in fact, most songs they use twice. There's one song they use twice, firstly near the beginning and then near the end, which is so fucking annoying. It's horrible. It's got this kind of high pitched. Um, oh, it's, it pierces right through you and it's, it's ugly. Ugly, ugly song. I don't know why they used it. Um, the acting from the first film was was serviceable. You know, it, it did what it meant to do. The, like I said, the dancers being asked to act. And they did a fair job of it in places, you know, better dance than their actors. In the sequel, it just goes down the drain completely, almost for say, look, you know what, forget acting, just don't, not even bother about it, don't even try. And they become more caricatures of the first film's uh, characters, and it's sometimes just plain wince-inducing when you're watching it, and it makes you sort of like, you know, pull your teeth back thinking, Jesus Christ, you know, why don't they just do another take of that? Um, who have we got? We've got Lucinda Dickey. Now, she plays Kelly. 
uh, Special K. Um, she's only got six movie credits to her name um, throughout her entire career. Last, this, these, these are two of them here. So she's only done four other things. Nothing of any note whatsoever. The only recent thing, the last recent thing she did was 19, 1990 was her last movie credit. The only recent thing she's done was as a judge on a show called Master of Dance. Now, I've not seen that. But I can kind of guess what it's about. A bit like X Factor, American Idol, you know, uh, America's Got Talent, that kind of stuff. But um, she's not really done anything since. Aldolfo Quinun, Quornon, Quinun, Ozone. Doesn't have much on his CV either, apart from these two films. A few dance credits, um, Tango and Cash, he was dancing in that. Appearance in Married with Children, again, probably as a dancer, I'm not entirely sure. But he hasn't done anything since 1995. Um, oh, a few days ago, I, I, a few days ago, I tweeted a pic, about a week ago, I tweeted a pic of uh, the two, the, the good robot usses from Bill and Ted. Now, from the four or five people that actually saw that, who may have thought that I was going to do a podcast about the Bill and Ted films, well, you were wrong. But I wasn't wrong to put the Bill and Ted picture up and saying that these were was it these are the stars film because there's the two guys in there, um, good good robot Bill and good robot Ted, were played by Michael Chambers, also known as Boogaloo Shrimp. Uh, or Ozone, he's in Good Robot Bill and in Good Robot Ted was one of the electro rock dancers, a guy called Bruno Falcon, or to give him a street name Pop and Taco Jesus Christ, I mean Boogaloo Shrimp's bad enough but Pop and Taco um, so those two guys play, in the, if you remember rightly in Good, there is a bit where they do kind of like a little bit of a break dance kind of thing, that's those two guys from this film, they're in there, so that's correct but um, uh, Michael Chambers again hasn't done a great deal else. You know he's uh, uh, he's got eight movie credits. Bill and Ted was one of them. Uh, a few other bits and pieces, but again he hasn't worked in a long time. So much for our heroes then. Um, there's nobody of any real note in the sequel. Uh, in the first part, obviously we do get uh, Christopher Donald as Kelly's dance instructor James. James, that's right, James. Uh, Chris Donald, of course, probably most famous for me as Shooter McGavin in Happy Gilmore. Fantastic film. Uh, he also played Stifler's Old Man in most of the later American Pie movies. Not the first three, not the ones with all the big stars, in, but the director, director DVD ones, uh, Naked Mile, uh, Book of Love, um, uh, Bandcamp, stuff like that. You know, so he was Stifler's dad in that. Um, but I also found out, going back through his IMDb, that he also played the uh, Robert De Niro character, Jack Walsh, in the mid night run tv movies in the mid 90s which i wasn't even aware of until i went through those so i've definitely definitely got to seek those out because midnight run that's, that's a good film i like that um of course ice ice tea turns up in both films as i mentioned before van damme in his leotard in the first film and for those interested in animation domination um caravallo is a name that you might recognize american dad and family guy fans will might recognize the name caravallo as a producer she's one of the background dancers in the first film as well uh, but other than that Nobody of, of any real note. First film was directed by Joel Silber, Silberg, a Palestinian guy. He really didn't make anything else. A few Palestinian films. This is about the only American film he made. He hasn't worked in a long time. Uh, but he's quite old now. Sam Furstenberg, who's a Polish director, took on the sequel. He was more synonymous, synonymous with uh, the likes of American Ninja and American Ninja 2 and American Ninja 3 and American Ninja and Delta Force and Delta Force and stuff like that. You know, low budget tacky shit um nothing of any real note you know and he didn't do a particularly good job with uh, with the sequel in fact his direction of the sequel made the first film look like a genius <laughs> there you go um now also interestingly enough also right in 1984 was another film <clears throat> that i wasn't even aware of at the time in 1980 when, when, when these films came out and i didn't see it until many many years later in fact probably saw this one more recently than i saw the other two films which was a film called beat street which was also about breakdancing 
But it was more than that. It was, it's a much darker story, and it's threaded with all of the hip hop and you know related cultures, you know, like uh, graffiti and tagging and uh, and that kind of stuff. And um, it, it's it's stars Ray Dawn Chong, the girl from Commando. Um, a couple of other guys really didn't do much else, and uh, it's got um, uh, Alice. Is it Alice Smith? Alice Smith or Mary Alice, who was the Oracle in the third Matrix films, you know, the one they replaced uh, Gloria Foster with after she unfortunately died uh, in the third film. She's in it as well. But it is um, it is a much darker film, much darker story. Well, let's put it this way. Nobody gets killed in Breakdance 1 or 2. They do in Beat Street. But it ain't bad at all, and it's worth checking out if you've seen or if you've got any interest at all in the first film uh, or the sequel, actually, or Breakdance in Culture. It's, um, it's, it's a good film. It's a much, much darker story. It's, a, it's not really got any of those sort of must-see sequences or breakthrough sequences or you know anything like that you know it doesn't really i don't think it has the rewatch factor of the first film uh breakdance you know but it is a better story it's better acted uh and it's got it's got some good the santa rap's quite good you know if there was to if i was to highlight a sequence in the uh, in, in beat street it would be the santa rap which is uh, which is quite good and quite funny um, but Breakdance 1 Breakdance 2 neither of these films made careers for anybody so they've not really gone on and done anything since but um, I stand by what I said Breakdance 1 is uh, it's, it's movie goodness in my opinion it's got a great soundtrack it's enjoyable to watch uh, it's quite nostalgic for me you know I love the 80s period I think it's fantastic the sequel though Electric Boogaloo <sighs> movie badness forget it avoid it forget it exists forget what Mr. T says uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. T so forget what Ice-T says at the end of the first film don't bother checking out the sequel uh, unless for pure enjoyment and, and you know just for a good old laugh and that's this week's Movie Monkey.